Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. I'm Diana Gasparoni. I'm a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her Programs. I am Ednisha Salisbury. I am a therapist, speaker, trainer, and co-creator of Black Woman Be Whole. Each week, we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We give you tips and insights to taking the next steps. If you have already gotten into the door, we'll get you to go a little deeper. Each week, we're going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions and reminding you that you are not alone. Mental wellness is our passion. We practice what we preach. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content and leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together, lay back on the couch and get real. Welcome back to Be Real. Diana, I gotta say, I missed you last week. Wait, two weeks you weren't here with me. What was that like? Did you miss me too? Uh, Yes. I mean, I miss you. (laughs) I did. I did. I did. The pressure. The pressure. The pressure. The pressure. Yeah, no. I mean, well, I, you know, it's twofold, right? Like you like to see something. Ooh, hello. Diana has dogs, more dogs than normal. So normally there's only one. There's monkey. But um, Diana is visiting her sister and she has mini dogs. So she has a lot of furry friends. Yeah, it's not stopping. Here we go. There's a little bit of stopping. So um, still still working at home, but in somebody else's home. Um, <laughs> I like when the podcast gets taken over by the Be Well team. So there's that. So I don't mind. I missed you. Yeah. But the, the other side of that is like, having the be well takeover is really nice for me to be able to be like, Oh, well, I mean, it's in such good hands. I don't even have to worry about it. And I know that you did a good job because you were there with the ladies. It was really nice. It was really nice. I think for one to see all of them, because I think everyone who listens knows that we are still not all back in the office together. So I don't get to see some of the ladies a lot. So it was nice for us to all see each other. And Mm -hmm. um, for them to talk about their experience as therapists of color. So I thought that that was really cool. And also talk about, you know, how important Minority Mental Health Month is, not just for us as therapists, but for um, clients as well. There's more education out there. You know, we are talking more about access, who gets access, who doesn't get access. And I think that it piques the interest of people a little bit more who maybe has been thinking about therapy to know that there are therapists of color out there that they can see and to know that, listen, therapy is really not that scary. You just come and talk to somebody. No big deal. That's right. And what a nice group of women. And I did, you know, I did know that I said, I really, for the listeners was only sitting out for one week, but our very enthusiastic producer (laughs) to like (laughs) hang out. So now I'm actually, I was only going to be sitting out for the one, but now I'm sitting out for two. Because he likes the content, the little content junkie just sat there and like, let you go, kept you going, kept you going, kept you going. Um, so I am excited to listen, to uh, hear what, what goes on when I'm not in the room, so to speak. So we basically recorded <laughs> two podcasts in one sitting. 
that right. our guest wasn't prepared for. However, they did an amazing rose to the occasion. They rose always. to the occasion. Always. always, always. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it was a really good group. So I'm super excited. And um, yes, I think that being able to put as much content out about the importance of Minority Mental Health Month is something that uh, is really important to us as a group. And we were able to really, I'm assuming I read the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the questions were answered and we are, um, and we have a bunch of stuff, right? So we had the two podcasts and then we have our wellness event that is, uh, in two weeks, I think. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the date. I'm going to, I would look at, I, I don't know. I don't Colin, do you know the date of the wellness event? I do not. Colin doesn't know either. So I think it is Tuesday, the 20th. Yes. Tuesday, Tuesday the 20th. At seven, um, and you can sign up on the website, and it will be the same group of women, but it will maybe more. I think there'll be more women there. It's interactive, so it will be live and interactive, and you can ask uh, questions, get questions answered, and that will also live on the site for quite some time. So that's exciting too, because then you can um, get more of a feel for each clinician uh, and get a sense and ask questions directly to each one. I think you're hosting that one too. I don't think I'm invited to that either. <laughs> I am hosting. I will be there and I can't wait. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a really good host. I listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate hosting. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, interesting enough, you do less work. So um, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like, just like roll up and throw the party. Like it's kind of right. nice. Listen, yeah. I'm like the hostess with the Moses. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, know, I you throw are... in, you know, a couple words here and there and then, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you're a professional speaker now. Anyway, you're out, you're out there in the world. You are like, you can, you can just rise up, get behind a microphone, answer the questions ask the questions. You've got this down. No more anxiety. I feel really good about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about no more anxiety, but less anxiety, less, (laughs) less anxiety, less anxiety. All right, cool. Well, I think that this is a really good segue and to sit back, grab your tea and have a listen. So, uh, but you're the host of today's podcast. So it's your turn. So sit back, Grab a tea, a wine, a margarita. It is ooh, summer. Listen, ooh, 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 whatever floats your bowl, you know. Yeah, okay. I'm all just the tea, but that's okay. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's summer, Diana. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's summer. Who knows? You could be on the, the stakes are higher like, these days. The stakes you know? are higher. You get <laughs> a little wine spritz of wine in a can. Little oh, a rose. Um, yep. I don't know. Rose, <laughs> a little hard kombucha, depending on who you are and what's happening. It's good. It's good. Right. All right. So <laughs> there you go. Grab your beverage of choice and have yes. a listen. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy, and if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. Be Well is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, Be Well offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. 
There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit bewellpsychotherapy.com or text BEWELL, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's bewellpsychotherapy.com or text BEWELL, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L, to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. Just to add to that, to what Tamika had talked about in terms of like police involvement and visibility or seeing yourself in your therapist in a way, like clients who are minorities, who are BIPOC, uh, want to feel supported, right? We all want to feel supported and to feel supported, it helps to have a therapist who knows, who truly comprehends what it's like to be a minority in a space that that is not affirming, whether it's a white space or just a space that's not affirming, right? So it's not a requirement. You know, you may feel comfortable with a person who maybe doesn't look like you, right? As long as you trust them and there's that comfort level. But because of that fear of what's going to happen, how are they going to interpret what I'm telling them? Because they're not from my community. Statistics show that Black men, they're diagnosed with schizophrenia at a higher rate as opposed to bipolar, right? And so there are discrepancies of how providers are interpreting symptoms, right? Is it because they don't know how symptoms manifest within different populations. Is it because certain populations feel the need to overemphasize uh, over a symptom due to the history of us not being trusted, right? So to make you trust us, I kind of have to amp it up a little bit. And it's sad, but it's the truth, right? I find myself, when I've worked with a clinician who does not look like me, I've caught myself repeating something a few times because I want to make sure that they understand how important it is to me. So I think visibility is super important, availability. And, you know, I just wanted to add that to speak to why a person may feel more comfortable seeing another provider who is a minority or BIPOC. And thank you for adding that, Suheili. And I also think that sometimes people don't want to explain culture, right? There are certain things that happen in your culture that maybe you don't want to have to explain to someone that's not within the culture. And so that feels like it takes more from you to have to explain that. So every time you say something or you use a word or something like that, you then have to kind of explain it. So I know that when I see people and they say like, Anisha, I was looking for you. I was looking for a Black therapist, right? Because there are things about being a Black person that I understand, right? No, we didn't all have to grow up the same way, but there's certain things that we're going to have, we're going to have in common, right? Because that is the culture that we grew up in. And so there's an appreciation for that. I think sometimes even like down to the small things like the slang words, I get it, right? Like there's things that people just say that I understand and, and they appreciate that, that they can, I guess they can, they can talk with me in their language, right? Whatever language that is. And I get it. So I think that that's so important for sometimes why people are seeking out clinicians who um, look like them and have the same, um, you know, cultural identity. I just wanted to add, I think you mentioned earlier that we worked in the same clinic and mm -hmm. Tamika was discussing earlier with when you call for help because the person is suffering from severe mental health, there's some hesitation. I know working at that clinic, it was a lot of hesitation for me with 
asking for help from 911 or other mental health providers, it was two things. It was the community, right? When police are called to certain communities, in my opinion, there's a little more aggression and a little less understanding. There was some resistance and hesitation on my end to really get sometimes the help that's very much needed. Or if I'm out there, I'm like, this person is not like just making very clear this person is not dangerous. They just they just need help or they are suffering from mental health. They need to be escorted to the hospital. But providing education on mental health, this person is not dangerous. Just making that very clear when we're communicating or if I'm calling. So for me working in that clinic, it was a lot of hesitation because of the area that the clinic was located in and the stigma of that area um, and the aggression that comes with um, police being contacted for that area. So I think cultural competency so important when working in this field. So in, in, that, in the clinic that we worked in, while it was in an area that was mostly Hispanic and um, Black, the, the staff that worked there wasn't always that di diverse. Cultural competency is just so important when you're working in this field. Thank you for adding that, Tanika, because I remember having to really advocate for my clients in those situations when I would need to call 911. I would actually have to tell the police, no, you can't come in my office. Like, can you stand outside? Because in New York City, when you call the ambulance, the police automatically comes. And they didn't realize that there was fear now for my client, right? They didn't feel safe. And so I needed to keep them safe. And that was my responsibility. So I would have to ask the, the cops to stay out. And even when the, um, the ambulance did come, I would have to go out and talk to the ambulance about how to talk to this person, how to treat this person so they can be comfortable and so they can go get the help that they needed. You know, I would actually have to walk them out to help them into the ambulance because there was no trust there. I think that that cultural competence piece is important in knowing that because of this person's lived experience, their interactions with the police and the ambulance might not be the same as yours. And so you have to, you know, be mindful of that and figure out the ways in which you need to help them. So I thank you for adding that, Tanika, because I remember that being a real struggle for me. And I think that a lot of people in our community, that's a struggle for them when you are a family, when you have a family member who needs help. Like you want to call the police because the police are supposed to help, but they don't always help in some communities. So there is a lot of fear and distrust there. I, I think that for me, I know I wanted to just get from you guys, um, when do you think it's um, important for someone to maybe start thinking about therapy? Like what could be going on in their lives for the listeners that make you say like, mm, yeah, maybe it's time for you to go to therapy. Well, I think, I think any time is a great time to start going to therapy. You don't have to be in the middle of some crisis to go mm -hmm. to therapy. I think a lot of the time people look at therapy as a last resort. And I think especially in a lot of BIPOC communities, because of a lot of what we've all said of just tough it out, just be strong, just hold it in. And the thing is like, we all know that when you hold in your emotions, it's all going to explode at one point. And usually during that explosion is when people are like, oh, maybe I should go to therapy. But there's ways that we can be preventative about that explosion. So even just like taking care of yourselves, having a space that's like yours for reflection, being able to better yourself. I think therapy can serve a lot of purposes. One, it can really, it can help people through crises and it can also help people just with their upkeep of mental health, just as how we've talked about. It's just as important to do check-ins with the PCP. It's similar with mental health and just having a place one time a week where you can focus and really just have only focus on mental health and self-growth, I think is really important. So it can serve a lot of purposes. And my answer is just like, any time would be a great time. 
Yes, I agree 100%. So I believe that anytime is a great time to start therapy and, you know, seeking mental health services. What I will also say is that there's a saying that says it's not time to uh, get ready when it's time to be ready. And so as we know, we're all going to experience ups and downs in life. At some point, there are going to be high points, there are going to be low points. And what therapy helps you do is to be able to prepare and navigate different things that may come up at one point in time in your life. And so when you know that this may be a trigger for you, when you know that there's traumas that you haven't been able to touch on as of yet, when you know that you're fearful of some things, when you know that you're just not showing up as your authentic self, when you know that you're just not happy in life, like this is an awesome time to seek out a therapist, seek out a mental health provider and start doing the work so that when you're faced with life challenges, which will come, it's not, you know, maybe they'll come. It's inevitable. (laughs) It's inevitable. Then you know how to handle them and, and stay in a positive place at the same time. You don't have to fall apart. You don't have to end up in a place of crises. You have someone to, to journey with you. So now you have another person to lean on, another person as a part of your, your team or your support system. So anytime is a great time. When you, I felt like when you feel like there's a pattern of your life reshifting, when you're going into a new chapter of your life, um, when you're experiencing symptoms on a consistent basis, or I think it's so important that prevention, prevention is promote it in uh, medical health why can't prevention be promoted in mental health so if you feel like going away to college might trigger some symptoms seeking therapy then if you feel like you're in a relationship or you're entering a marriage seeking therapy then if you a new chapter of your life or you feel like something might become overwhelming you start a new job and you're a little anxious about that seek therapy i love that i think that transitions is so important and i think that we don't take the time to think about how transitioning to something new really impacts us just to add and repeat in a way you know there's never a wrong time no wrong time any time to see a therapist is the right time because there's never a wrong time to strengthen your coping skills you know mm-hmm. like even if you say i'm level headed i am a good wife husband a partner a parent well you want to be better you know like it it doesn't have to be for crisis it doesn't have to be when you're at your lowest it can be to improve there's never a wrong time to develop another healthy relationship right and hopefully the relationship that you had with your therapist is a positive and a healthy one that you can use as a blueprint and apply that to relationships outside of that therapy office there's never a wrong time to have an additional sounding board and just to add another member in your support circle you know so for those who say i'm doing good right now i'm okay i'm happy for you i'm happy for you that you know you feel that you're not struggling right now and that your mental health is great but like a lot of people mention a check-in and even the word check-in is less intimidating like i'm just checking in with Suhaili today as opposed to i'm seeing my psychotherapist it's <laughs> language the same thing yeah but just being mindful of language but there's never a wrong time every day any day 365 days of the year it's a good time to see a therapist yeah. or any mental health provider i think that is so important um i talk to people in my in my circle like i have a team the therapist is just a part of the team that I need. I have the, I have my, my therapist, I have a nutritionist, I have physical therapy, like all the parts of my life that need a little help. I have someone on the team for that because I think that we can't live this life on our own. And I think that we've been taught that we should and that we can. 
but we always need some type of help. And for me, therapy is for life. That's just my thought. Like I'm always going to have a therapist just because there's always going to be something going on in my life that I need to talk about. And so I love to always have a different perspective because sometimes just your perspective is definitely not enough. That's not the way that we should be seeing the world, right? Like, so we should be seeing the world fully with different perspectives. And so that's what the therapist allows me to see things a little bit differently. And I appreciate that. So I think that I'm always going to have that. I am going to take a break now. And when we get back, I want to talk about how our personal backgrounds and identity make access to mental health treatment kind of more difficult for us. So hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that. So we'll take a break, guys. We'll be right back. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy. And if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. BeWell is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, BeWell offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. So we've been talking a lot about the barriers to therapy due to culture. We also mentioned earlier, I think actually I mentioned it, that there are less than 5% of clinicians that are people of color. So I'm just thinking, how can we change that, right? Because I think that that is very important. And I was thinking about, you know, at one time there was a shortage of teachers, right? So they did Teach for America, right? And what they would do was, you know, pay back some of the loans. There was a lot of incentive. What if there was incentive for mental health clinicians to go to school? Because especially after this pandemic, there's so much need. Also, after this like racial reckoning that we are having in this, in our country, I think there's even more need. So how do we get people in school? Because it can be very expensive, right? Like I'll be clear, I went to NYU. And I think that from that alone, that program probably was like maybe $50,000, $60,000. You know, I have a lot of student loan debt. And for me, I'm a social worker. I know Victoria is a social worker as well. Suheli, you're a mental health. What is it, Suheli? LMHC. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Health counselor, right. I know that when people go into this profession, there is a thought that, Like, I'm not going to make money. Because I remember when I told my brother that I was going to go to social work school, the first thing he said is like, oh, so you're just going to be broke? And I was like, wow. And he was like, and you paying all that money to go to NYU? Doesn't add up, Anisha. I want people to know that, listen, you can make a really great living doing this and you can make a great living helping your community if that's what you want. So what do you think about that, ladies? I have so much to say about this because- (laughs) When I was in school, I remember I had a professor who said, I know you're all here, not because you want to make money, but because you want to help people. And I was like, well, yeah, I want to help people, but I don't want to be broke, you know, because at the end of the day, we are providing such a valuable 
service. Yeah. You know, and he said something like, you'll make 40,000 a year. And I'm just like, what? Like I was, that's in New York city. I live in New York city, $40,000 a year. That's not much. That's so almost I was like, just like the poverty line in New York. Like right. really, I mean, cause of the cost of living, like let's, let's really think about how much like a one bedroom apartment in New York costs. I could cost you $2,500. If you make yes. $40,000 a year, you can't afford to live here. No, like in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be eating ramen noodles all day. Like, you know, I'm doing this great thing. But at the end of the day, like I want to protect my mental health too. So I know that money doesn't make you happy, but it can help. So that was very discouraging. I was like, I have to hustle. When it came to my education, how can I get an education that is not going to make me I have people that I know that just with their bachelors they owe like a hundred thousand dollars and that's so scary to me because to be a licensed clinician you know like we're looking at a master's level or above what I did and it really helped me was I started off in community college Uh and then I graduated and all my credits automatically transferred to a four-year college and I did that intentionally so I wouldn't have to pay and then they all transferred and it doesn't delay that goal of getting your bachelor's in four years. And then from there, my understanding was I only want to pay for my master's. Okay. And there are scholarships. There are so many things that you can do so that you're not graduating in debt and then starting off, you know, with the bare minimum. And something that resonated with me, I had one of my professors tell me, you don't only have to be a therapist, you can wear multiple hats. You know, you can have passive streams of income. There are other things that you can do to make money. Uh, And that's why I teach. I teach because I love it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get so excited when I see my students and they're so diverse in terms of just experiences and nationalities and religion and just all of that stuff. And I'm just like, there's hope. Like the future is looking so bright and colorful. You know, you can publish, you can do public speaking you can do so many things and still enjoy what you do and still make a good living thank you for that so first off i have a lot of student loan debt and i'll probably be in student loan debt for for some time but working on it chipping away at it i do think it's like a combination of things for me and i'll kind of like trail off on a few different topics but i promise they'll all come back together so yeah same thing i went to i mean five degrees from columbia and nyu so like that they weren't like cheap i do think personally i and I started off, I'll tra- trail back to, I started off in, as a social worker in a hospital in the Bronx. So I was making like $45,000 a year coming out of school. And that was like very real. And it was difficult to kind of live on that. But I kind of had to do some soul searching and self-reflection. And I knew that that was kind of going into the field. I knew it was something embedded that I, I was passionate about. It's something I really wanted to do. And it was pulling off that passion. And again, I, I think see, it was, it was having to be like, okay, if this is what I want to do, if this is my passion, being creative of what are other ways that I can expand this passion and make an income and do, you know, well at it um, in in different ways. So, you know, it kind of several years went by, but, you know, kind of, again, it's more soul searching and recognize that there is ways to kind of make a sustainable income and and do well and and venture off. And like now I I do, you know, therapy as as was mentioned. And um, I also have a business consulting or a consulting business um, that I kind of do on the side as well. That is kind of another stream. That's also my passion. Um, I just, you know, there's speaking engagements. There's so many different opportunities to kind of give back and still work with those populations. And I think, you know, it, it is kind of sitting down and looking at it, like which ways, how can I make, you know, the finances and, and strive for my passion and pay my rent, 
but also, you know, what are other ways within that I can still make sure I'm doing meaningful and giving back to the populations that I want to give back to. So I do like volunteer work through my church and there it's like all different types of populations that we'll work with in terms of kind of connecting people to resources um, and mental health. So I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to to kind of go about it. I think it is kind of sitting down and looking and creating kind of a path um, for yourself. I do think with like it's Minority Mental Health Month and as as like, you know, awareness increases in populations and more people are kind of getting comfortable with it. I'm hoping that, you know, more individuals will see that there's a need in both sectors and as as kind of these histories of not wanting to go to therapy or become therapists will kind of see just the recognize the, the need and the importance and how how beneficial it is. So yeah, I think there is ways to kind of sustainably live off of it as we all are, you know, living proof of that. Um, and there's such a need for it. And I think it's just kind of circling back, finding that passion, that drive and figuring out what kind of sector you want to, would like to go into as a therapist and, and just starting from there. I think if something is a passion not to kind of discourage or be discouraged to kind of jump into it due to to, to do the finances um because at the end of the day i'm a big believer in, well sometimes will you figure out a way to make it work right <laughs> and there's just such a you know kind of need and i think like right going back to the awareness and the just as more awareness builds i think hopefully it'll catch on in larger in, in a more larger sense in that governments and you know our government and, and the, the different providers will maybe hopefully one day we will have something like a you know mental health for america or something yeah. where you know it's it's it is covered because it's it's like starting to plant the seeds of change now mm -hmm. uh you know and advocating for that and advocating for the profession being in it or even outside of it how it should be more affordable and that the clinicians should still be able to live their lives <laughs> for their lives you know i think about Whenever I saw a therapist on television, it was normally a white therapist. And I'm now seeing that start to change as well, right? So mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we did actually a podcast episode on the um, show In Treatment. And so right now, the therapist that is playing on it now, she's a black therapist. So it's a black female therapist. So I think it's so important for people to see that. Mm -hmm. um, I watched the show Insecure and one of the girls on there, she's black and her therapist is black. So people are starting to see like, oh, wait, like there are black therapists. And I'm, I'm hoping that people will say like, I want to become a mm -hmm. therapist, right? This is something that I can do. I know that I can do it. Why? Number one, maybe because I, I know that my therapist is a person of color, right? So I know this is something that I can do as well. Sometimes people just have to see that it's possible. So I think that that becomes very important. And for me, I did this because I did want to help my people because I understood the stigma. Right. And I understood that when I was in therapy, it was important for me personally to see a black woman. And I said, you know, when I was in therapy and it was always something I thought that I can do, I could do. And I started talking to her and she became like my accountability partner. And she was like, all right, Anisha, if you're going to apply, like, let's do this. Right. So like every week there was a check in and where I was, was I writing my essay? Was I getting my recommendations? All of those things. So when I did become a therapist, my first job I was making and I don't have a problem saying I was making $55,000 a year and therapy was my second career. So I was making much more than that beforehand. So now I had student loan debt and I was making less money. So that was a struggle. And I worked at a mental health clinic where people were predominantly like at the poverty line or under. So they pay with Medicaid. So I remember having a fear of going into private practice, right? Because I had only been seeing people who weren't paying out of pocket to see me, right? So in some ways for them, it was free. So I was like, I don't know if people who look like me value therapy enough that they will pay me for it. But I knew I wanted to be in private practice because there came a time in my career that I wanted to see higher functioning clients. 
I didn't always want to see people who was in dire need and in, in crises. I wanted it to look a little bit differently. So I went ahead and got into private practice. And when we were trying to think about what my rate would be, I was so afraid, right, to ask for what I was worth because I didn't know if people valued therapy enough that they would pay for that. I know people pay for a lot of things in their life, right? We pay for the things that we think is important. I didn't know if people would think that therapy was important enough to pay for if they had to pay out of pocket or if they had to add like a, a higher co-insurance than like $25, like would they pay? And after now being in private practice for five years, I could say that people of color value therapy and they are willing to pay because they do realize that it is an investment in themselves. And I tell people every day, therapy is the best investment that I could ever make in myself. And I think that other people are realizing that. And again, it's because of months like, you know, my minority mental health month that we are talking about it. The education is out there. There are Instagram handles that are fully just focused on depression or anxiety or borderline personality disorder, like because it's the education piece that's kind of getting out there. So whoever's listening, if you feel like you want to be a therapist, it is very attainable. You can still help people who look like you if that's what you want and they, they will and they, and they can afford to pay you if need be. Right. So all the fears that I have are no longer fears. Right. And when I talk to people, when I interview people, when I interview future therapists at Be Well, I let them know, like, you can see people who look like you and they can afford it and they will come. And I think that that is so important for people to know. One thing that I always recommend, and it's ironic because I never thought this way in grad school, was being a Latina, mm -hmm. we speak Spanish. Yes. I swore I was not gonna have therapy sessions in Spanish because I speak Spanish, but it was a Spanish that I speak at home. Like it was chopped up. It was, you know, <laughs> it wasn't proper Spanish, I guess, whatever you want to call it. So I just said, I'm, I'm not even going to go through the, the hassle of polishing up my Spanish. And I'm just going to work with Latinos who speak English. Mm -hmm. And I realized that cost me a lot of job opportunities because there are there's already that hesitation of seeing a therapist, right? And thankfully, we're getting better at pushing through that hesitation. But then there's a whole other population of people, from my experience, that still can't get therapy because you don't speak their language. And once I just change that perspective of I'm going to be able to polish my Spanish and conduct therapy sessions in Spanish, it opened so many doors and I was able to help so many more people and still stay, tr stay true to myself, you know, because a language barrier is also one of those things that stop people from seeing a provider. And for a lot of students in college, that's also a fear. Like, I'm not good at this language or that language. I don't want to mess up. So I'm just going to stick to the basics of what I know. I've used translators. It's necessary at times, but I've seen how things get lost in translation and yes. that it affects the relationship that you're building with your therapist because there's a third party. And what I would have gotten in five minutes is going to take me 30 minutes now. One recommendation I highly recommend is if you are somebody that wants to serve your people and there is another language, learn that language or polish it. Even if you don't speak it fluently, even if you know like a few words, that's helpful, you know, because sometimes in sessions, people express themselves in the language that they're most comfortable with, their first, their first language. It can be very emotional and powerful when you express yourself in that language. You know, so if if you don't speak another language, at least make sure that you have that space where a person can utilize that language in session to express themselves. Thank you for that, Sahili.
Yeah, and just to piggyback off Suheili, so I am lifting that up. My Spanish is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just throw it out there. But um, so where I do speak some, I don't necessarily personally feel comfortable, unfortunately, hopefully one day uh, doing it in session. It's just so important, like even like as a, a, if you're, you know, minority therapist, or if you're going into that, just to know that your experiences matter and it's valuable and you're still offering something to your people in a different way. Because my experience, for example, though my my Spanish is not perfect and I will will be working on that. Um, Like I have personally struggled with like finding a balance of fitting in in two different worlds, like growing up Mm. and speaking Spanish. I've had it again, personally kind of put in my face that I don't. And that's had me question my, I guess, even personage as a Hispanic woman, like, am I Hispanic enough? People would be like, I've had like Latinas or Latinos and Latinx people come and like to me, even, even as a social worker, I worked in the Bronx. There was a lot of um, like Hispanic people in, in the population I worked with. A lot of times I was, I was basically called out for not speaking Spanish. That is kind of something, at least personally, that is part of my story and my journey. And I have met other, I've been in people, in, you know, that I work with that are kind of coming from that, like balancing their culture with America and like all of these different things and not feeling Hispanic enough and not feeling American enough. And you're like finding this like intersection of everything. So long story short, I think any person, if you're, if you are going to therapy and especially as a minority, you bring your special flavor to it. You bring your special, you know, color to it. You bring your special just uniqueness to it and your story is important and that can help so many people within the population that you are a part of so you think it's kind of acknowledging that and recognizing that and knowing that you do bring something to someone's experience um, and can connect with someone and in seeking therapy i think it is important to just find that person that you connect with and make sure like as really was saying if if language is something that it's, it's important that your therapist maybe have that as a resource um, or if it's other things that you want to connect to that it's just someone that you jive with and that can really help you on your journey um, in relatability and such. You know, I think people just want to be seen, heard, and understood. And I think that when you have therapists of all cultures seeing the population that is most comfortable with them is going to be so important. So I definitely appreciate you ladies coming on to talk about something so important. It it, it really is so important in the work that we do. Um, And at a time like this, you know, when people are really struggling with their mental health in, in very different ways because of a pandemic, the work that we do becomes even more important. I just want to really say thank you for the work that you do first, because it because it is so important. On our show, we always have a last hurrah. Um, so I ask you guys questions that have nothing to do with what we talked about today. I think I'm going to start with Victoria. On the hot seat. So Victoria, <laughs> if you were the host of a late night talk show, who would be your first guest? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. See, these are always the hardest part of these things. <laughs> <laughs> who would be my first guest? Um, I don't know if I would probably be, I don't know. Michelle Obama was the first thing that popped in my head. I know she's like, I'm like been on so many things, but I would just really, she's iconic. How do you not? Right. Like if you get a chance to talk to her, right. Like, how do you not? Right. Exactly. You're like, you can meet anyone. I'm like, oh my gosh, the list of people (laughs) just went through my head, but she kind of highlighted. I should have asked if it was living or not, if it's like this fantasy world, but that's okay. We'll go with that. (laughs) Okay. What about you, Suheili? Uh, this answer will never change. And it is uh, Tupac Amaru Shakur. And I'm his number one fan. And I just <laughs> am in awe at how in his short life, he has overcome just so much adversity. And I think he's a lyrical genius and a poetic genius. And that would be my first guest. <laughs> and his impact on the culture. Of so course, absolutely. Yeah. And one more question. If 
you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what food would that be? Like, what would the thing be that you would eat? This is not hard for me. I okay. say tacos. Tacos. Okay. Tacos. <laughs> just is is that community. corn tortilla or flour? Corn. Because I don't yes. Okay. Like, Authentic. Like, corn. Yeah. Okay. So corn. I, just, I was like, this, I have a quick answer. <laughs> what about you, Suheili? Let me see. Do I have to think about if it's going to harm my health or not? No. No. So it's not going to shorten my lifespan or anything no. like that. Okay, so it would probably be candy or chips or donuts okay. or pizza. <laughs> junk food. I'm, I'm, I'm such a lover of junk food, but I'm, I always have to be mindful because it's not good for me. But in, in a perfect world where I could live forever, that, yeah, I would stuff myself with junk food every day. So thank you so much, ladies. And please continue to do the good work that you do, the hard work that you do, because you help people to be seen and heard and supported. I am going to sign out now, guys, and we will be back next week. And Diana will be back. Stay safe. Continue to wash your hands and continue to social distance because everybody is not ready for you to be close to them yet. Uh, see you next week. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to BeWellPsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.